Welcome back to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Ben Standing here. The rumors are true. I do cover the Washington football team for The Athletic, and I host this here podcast, which of course you can find anywhere you do your podcasting, iTunes, Spotify, all that fun stuff. Uh, So make sure you subscribe to the podcast uh, and make sure you check me out on The Athletic. A fun episode here uh, as we kick off a new week with free agency now basically one week away. Um, my teammate at The Athletic, Shield Capadia, one of our national writers who really handles a lot of the transactional thoughts in the free agency market, he joined me to discuss just that, free agency. I, I, I put uh, We played a little bit of a game of basically how would you allocate the money if Washington needs wide receiver, offensive tackle, secondary, linebacker, putting quarterback aside for, for to some degree. Based on the market, who's available, how much money uh, it will cost to get some people, I put, I gave Shield the reins to say, how would you spend the money? We kind of went through those scenarios, and yes, we talked about quarterbacks and lots of other thoughts with regards to the Washington football team. So, an insightful conversation, I'll get to that in just a few minutes, and at the end of this, I've got a little bit of a, I've got some thoughts to share about Bradley Beal and kind of where I think Washington should take his situation going forward um, in the most realistic way for this team. So I'll get to that at the end of, uh, towards the end of the podcast. Oh, and I should say we have a sponsor for this episode of the Standard Groom Only Podcast. This this episode is brought to you by All Pro Reels. All Pro Reels is a credentialed digital media company covering all professional sports teams in the Washington, D.C. area through photography and videography. With a database of over 25,000 images, whether you're looking for in-game content or content with your favorite player, APR has you covered. But I want to start here at the top. First, I guess, I'll, let me just say, uh, I put out the, the call uh, a week or so ago for people to, uh, if you're an iTunes person, to get in there to, 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 to help me out with some reviews and some ratings. And you guys have done that. I so appreciate all the support. Obviously, everybody's been very nice about it as well with what they've said, so that goes without saying. I definitely appreciate that. Um, you know, these things do help. So again, uh, you know, if you, if you have a thought and, and you're willing to, to take a minute or two to drop a review or rating, again, uh, th- this helps the cause without question. So uh, that that's great. And I appreciate that. I don't know how that works on Spotify or Stitcher exactly, but if there's a way to do that as well there, I'm sure that would be, uh, would be of great help. Um, and in terms of the athletic, I would say um, I've got a story out I put up on Friday with regards to free agency. Who's out there, right? Like we actually, let me rephrase that. We constantly talk about Ron Rivera. Anybody who ever played for Carolina, we immediately want to link to Ron Rivera. But you also have Marty Herney. You also have Martin Mayhew. You also have the coaching staff. Jack Del Rio was a head coach. Uh, Chris Harris was with the Chargers. Scott Turner obviously was with Minnesota before he got to Carolina. So I looked around the league to see which players are out there. High-end, middle-tier, some guys who might be at the back of the roster types. Anybody I thought could make sense. I I didn't get every single player. (laughs) But I tried to look at some and see what's realistic in terms of possible guys possibly coming here. And uh, went through that whole thing. So check that out on The Athletic. Hope, if nothing else, keep it around as a guide. Because we there will be players coming through here uh, when free agency starts that will have some connection and uh, it'll be important to reference. Um. I wanted before I talked about to get into my conversation with Shield. I wanted to get into three topics that have come up since I last spoke to you guys. Um, 
well, two of two since I've last spoken, one that I want to bring up sort of on my own. We'll get to my thoughts on the on the uh, Beth Wilkinson report and, and what was said over the weekend or said on Friday from the sports junkies about their their claim that they have seen some uh, information that's in that report. And we'll also get to the official Alex Smith release. But I wanted to start with Brandon Sheriff. We're waiting here right now. The tag window closes on the ninth, so Tuesday. So by the time you hear this, it's possible we may already have a sense of what's happened with Brandon Sheriff. Uh, I wrote a week a week ago or so that I think that it's a mistake for Washington to use the tag as a way to try to get a long term deal. I understand that that can be it can be used in that way. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I just think when you look at the marketplace with Brandon Sheriff, um, you know if they use the tag, it would be the second tag, obviously, 120 percent increase over his salary from 2020 for him that would be basically uh, 18 million dollars the 15 million he got this year already as an annual average value was already above what the highest paid guard which is brandon brooks from philly was making over a long-term deal brooks is in the low 14 million range uh so okay 15 million is not terribly out of whack but whatever uh in this case 18 million would be very high and out of whack relative to the overall market. This is not a, a, a expected to be a high price year for for guards other than Brandon Scherf, New England's Joe Thune, who was another franchise tag last year, is also um, up for uh, uh, he he's also uh, back in the market and could be tagged again. He he would cost a little bit less than Scherf. We'll see how that goes, um, but. Part of the reason I've said why I don't really like this for Washington is if you're the Brandon Sheriff side, you're going to now use that $18 million. If you get that tag, you're going to rush to sign it. That's going to become the new negotiating point for uh, discussing a long-term deal. And at that point, you, you know, for, now you're paying way over the value of, of, of that position relative to anybody else. And, you know, obviously I'm not disrespecting guards, but it's not, it's not a premium position. It's not quarterback. It's not tackle. It's not pass rusher and so on. So, it doesn't seem to make sense to me for that way. Come to Brandon Sheriff with your best offer and go forward. And at this point on this Sunday afternoon, we haven't heard anything yet as to where things stand with regards to the marketplace. So we'll see how that goes um, there. But now this is what I want to bring up though. In just the last couple of days, somebody did receive a second tag. Justin Simmons, uh, safety for the Denver Broncos, received a tag for a second straight year. And I hadn't really thought too much about him. It seemed like a guy who was, um, he is actually, uh, 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 didn't realize this to be honest, but he's a local guy uh, from uh, Manassas. Um, not sure where he played high school. Maybe I'll look that up here in a second, but uh, Wikipedia tells me he's from Manassas. I guess he actually went to high school in Florida. So scratch that. <laughs> okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, none of that matters anyway. Um, the point is that, Denver gave him a tag, and I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. Somebody else did go the second tag approach. So I looked that up a little bit. Our Broncos reporter, Nick Kosmider, uh, wrote about it, and I, I was reading the article. And what I see is that Justin Simmons, with the second tag, would get about $13.7 million if he just plays on the tag this year. And, you know, that's obviously a lot less than the $18 million that Brandon Sherford get. But put money aside. I was just curious... Where does that fall in with other safeties? Because the point I'm making on some level is not only is that a huge number, but it's out of whack with the market. And what I've noticed is that as it stands now, obviously free agency could change some things, but based on the current numbers, 
13.7 million isn't even top five AAV among safeties, or at least it's just around that range, whatever the whatever we're looking at here. But if you look at just actual um, cap number and cap spe- cash spent, 13.729 technically would be fourth among current safeties. Landon Collins is second. Tyron Matthew first. Landon Collins, Kevin Byard with the Titans, and then Justin Simmons. In terms of just pure cash for um, the uh, the upcoming season, that would be the second most behind Matthew, ahead of Collins, who's at uh, roughly $13 million. So Justin Simmons is also 27. Brandon Scherf is, is older than that. Um, I, I'm not going to lie and tell you, I, I can tell you a ton about Justin Simmons. Like, I, I don't have, like, I, I haven't studied his his game. I'm not going to, you know, I mean, I'm aware of him as a player, obviously. He's pretty good. <laughs> you know, all that's fun stuff. But, like, you know, I'm not sitting here telling you he is or he isn't worth it. But I'll just kind of go with it that he is. But here's what I do know. He has played every game for the last three seasons. Brandon Scherf has missed one-third of Washington's games over the last three seasons. Justin Simmons is 27 years old. So he's still, you know, in the middle there of his uh, of his prime years. Brandon Scherf will turn 30 this uh, season. 29 now will turn 30. So, you know, that's not old by any stretch, and the offensive lineman can play for a while. But again, he's missed a bunch of time. And I guess what's interesting, though, is Denver using this on Simmons even if it's a one year and out, they get him for this year, then they can't work out a long-term deal. Okay, they're at least not paying him some astronomically crazy number relative to the market. And I don't think that number gives him the leverage that the way that Scherf side would. He would still have to work out a long-term deal, but it's not, again, from an average annual value, it isn't crazy numbers that they're talking about. Now, so I don't have any insight into whether giving Justin Simmons a tag will will make it harder or easier for Denver to get a long-term deal. I'm just saying that the, the that the, what they're going to have to pay him does not change or should not give the player leverage. It's not the same that with with Brandon Sheriff and having, you know, sort of reach out to some people around the league, I think people are kind of agreeing with with what I'm saying. Now, obviously Washington could still negotiate a long-term deal with Sheriff if they put the tag on him absolutely possible but at some point you can't what are you going to do you know in other words uh if if they're willing to do 15 million a year and you offer brandon sheriff four years 60 million 35 40 million guaranteed whatever pick your pick your number that you're comfortable with you he either says yes or no and if he says no well then you know then what are we talking about um I I don't uh, you know put your best offer forward. Don't screw around. If it's sixteen million, okay, then go from there. And at some point, you have to make a call that we're not going to go any further. To, to me, the eighteen million feels excessive. But then to that larger point, if Washington doesn't view itself as a team that's ready to go right now, all in, we're going to spend everything we have. We have a lot of cap space, you know, fifty three million or so. Yeah, we have questions of quarterback, but we're going to be aggressive and get the best guy we think we can, regardless of who that is right now. We're going to spend our money to get, um, you know, not, we're, not only we're we going to keep Brandon Sheriff, we're going to get a stud receiver, we're going to spend a linebacker, we're going to draft key areas, we're going for it. Okay, fine. But then, if that's your case, maybe you can sort of justify it. Even then, I would still say $18 million is too much. But beyond that, um, 
he's not going to be here next year because you can't tag him a third time, as we know. The money is our eighteen million is already excessive for the position, and he's a player that has missed a third of the games over the last three years. So, I think they've got to figure out how to make this get a long term deal done without using the tag. And just because Justin Simmons and the Broncos went that way, there are reasons to indicate to me, at least, why that one makes more sense for Denver than it doesn't with regards to Washington. Uh, Let's get to some of the other stuff. Um, Alex Smith released officially in the statement put out by the team. Uh, Ron Rivera said that they essentially followed Alex's wishes and released him, that he wanted out. I don't really know what to make of that. I think it's probably a good PR spin from Washington's perspective, if nothing else. I mean, look. They tried to trade for, for Matthew Stafford. I've reported, I and others have reported on that. Uh, you know, I've been told they're trying to get in on, on, on other quarterbacks. They've, they've been they've been searching. Obviously, they haven't made a move yet, but they've been exploring this. You don't, you're not doing these things if Alex Smith is really in your plans because once you bring in somebody else, Alex Smith is gone. So I think both parties probably recognized this split was coming. Alex Smith made his comments to GQ, which seemed to be a bit aggressive, as we've discussed. So, and, and Washington, I think, unfairly took some heat from some people about that, that they're throwing this guy out. I mean, again, I if you throw if you take out the Alex Smith inspirational story, which is off the charts crazy, you know he wasn't he, he wasn't that great of a quarterback last year, and for the money he would be making this year, nineteen million salary, counting for over twenty three million on the cap, and then simultaneously, it's now uh, I had been reporting fourteen point seven savings. I've now been told it's fourteen point nine. I don't know where the extra money came from, but that's where that's where we're at. In any event, that's that's the that's a good chunk of savings for Washington, and that's easily the most they could get um, b- without having to do any type. That the simplest path for them to save money. So it made all kinds of sense for them to do it. I think from a PR perspective, moving on from Alex Smith in the way that they're claiming is is pretty smart. So glad for everybody. If everybody's happy and moving on, we'll see what happens to Alex Smith. Jacksonville would be an obvious choice, but you know we'll see if other teams. Or if you're interested in him possibly as a starter, I'd be surprised. But, hey, I've been surprised about everything on the Alex Smith journey to this point. Lastly, with regards to uh, the sports junkies and, uh, you know, obviously the, the morning longtime morning host for 106.7 The Fan, their, their report on Friday that um, they have seen part of this Beth Wilkinson report for the NFL with, reg- in, with regards to Dan Snyder, his behavior, and what actions, if any, should be taken against him concerning the culture, uh, everything else that's kind of going on within the organization. And they said that based on what they have seen, that the top recommendation was for Dan Snyder to divest himself of the team. And that the second one would involve the lengthy suspension. You can go listen to the, to the clip on the radio or go read their recap up on their own website. Um, I, you know, everybody wants to know what does this mean? And I, you know, look, I'd be lying to you if I said I could tell you, because I don't know what they know. I don't know where this report came from. I don't know. I don't even know what the junkies are looking at per se. Are they actually looking at a final copy of this? Maybe. I I don't know. The, um, I, I reached out to an NFL spokesman after this report came out and was told that they have not received the copy. The term absolutely false was used. I'm sort of taking that as absolute false that the, that a final report exists because, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, then if you, if you haven't received it, you can't have looked at it. So I'm going to go with that. Um, I was told that um, it, it is still in review and um, there was there, there's no timeline yet for when this is going to be done. Now, obviously, it's been worked on now for several months and it seems logical that something could come out any minute. But if you told me it's not for another month as well, I sure, why not? I, I don't know what to make of it. 
And I guess I would just say this. I'm not discounting what the junkies have said. Obviously, if they're going to put that out there. And they have had some news in the past. They're not a traditional news organization in that sense. But they have had a few things around. They've been around for a long time. I'm sure they know some people. Um, I've heard some things as well about people they may or may not know. So who knows? But I don't know what they looked at. Did they see a final version of the report? Did they see a draft of the report? Did they see notes of the report? That, that, you know, things like that is hard to know what they what they did or didn't see. The other question is, if they did get their hands on something, why, how did that happen? Did it, how did somebody or why did somebody give them this uh, information? Is it to create a groundswell of um, support for this movement, similar to the way it happened uh, with, with the name change last summer? You know, the name change situation, nothing changed. It's not like anything happened like at the moment last year, other than we in this country had a had we're having a, a conversation, a heightened conversation about uh, about race, about racism um, in this country at that time. And I think some of that helped fuel a renewed conversation about the, the name change. And to that point, when corporate sponsors started to recognize that there were pressures being put out there that they felt they needed to get behind that and go with the movement, that's when real change happened. So it's possible that that occurs as well. The Washington Post editorial board put out a uh, an opinion on Friday after the junkies saying that Washington needs to make this report public. They also cited the junkies report, which I honestly thought was kind of wild that they did that, that the Washington Post has owned this story and to give anybody else sort of any kind of nod when you don't even know what the junkies have i thought was wild but okay in any event we'll see where this goes and maybe if somebody wanted this out there to get that groundswell going maybe maybe they'll maybe that will happen obviously i think it's fair to say there's plenty of people who would like to see dan snyder sell the team i'm not going to sit here and tell you it's, it's impossible but i would just say that i don't know that to this minute we've seen regardless of what anybody thinks of the accusations of sexual harassment and and um, the, the incident involve in, incidents involving the cheerleaders and how gross some of these reports have been. I, I don't necessarily know that any of that is going to push it out to the point where Roger Goodell, NFL commissioner, says Dan Snyder has got to sell. And ultimately, it's not about Roger Goodell. It's about getting, I, I believe it's, uh, I can't remember, I don't know if it's three quarters or two thirds, apologies for that. But whatever the amount is, they've got to figure out, you know, the owners are the ones who are going to have to decide whether Dan Snyder stays or goes. And um, I just don't always believe that these guys, uh, the or who are the owners of these teams, men, women, whoever is in charge, are going to necessarily look to throw one of their own out, knowing that it could, they could be the one in the in the crossfire the next time. Um, so I think until there's real economic pressure, or if there's a smoking gun beyond what we know, I just don't get it. I just don't see that he's going to have to sell. But look, whatever, we'll see what happens. I, I did want to at least just mention it, not pretend that the Sports Junkies report doesn't exist. Again, not questioning what they saw, because I don't know what they saw, but I think there's a lot more that we need to learn, and maybe we'll learn it any day now uh, in terms of um, uh, uh, you know if a report has been filed and what's out there, whether we'll actually see it in full. Don't know about that, but uh, you know, surely there will be more people uh, calling for that to, uh, to the, for that to happen. All right. Uh, appreciate everybody here. Still with me here on the standard groom only podcast. Uh, as I said, later in the podcast, I'll have a 
sort of a similar rant, I guess, uh, take thoughts on Bradley Beal and the Wizards and what I think the Wizards should realistically do with Beal that I don't know if, I don't know if I've heard too many people discuss or, or, or discuss it in this specific way, so I'll get to that. But first, fun conversation. Shield Kapadia, our, uh, one of our national writers uh, who does a great job focusing on uh, broad NFL uh, topics, including free agency. He's been our guy writing all about um, uh, for position by position, the ranking guys out there, and we, we went into a lot of it. You can follow Shield on Twitter at Shield, S-H-E-I-L, Kapadia, K-A-P-A-D-I-A. And uh, when you subscribe to The Athletic, you get me, you get Shield, you get our whole team. So let's get into it. Talking free agency here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. As promised, joining me here on the Standard Room Only Podcast, one of our national NFL reporters for The Athletic. He is the man behind all the free agent chatter that we've got on the site. He is Shield Kapadia. Sir, I appreciate the time. How uh, How's life over there in free agent land? Everything is good. I feel like we've really uh, ramped it up this year, and I don't know if we're making it into the draft, but I do think it's going to be a pretty wild period, not only because of the free agents that we know are free agents, but obviously, as I'm sure you've talked about, the the cuts and releases that can be expected around the league. So, uh, you know, it's possible the guys we talk about now uh, might be different than some of the big names that might be on the market, uh, you know, in the next couple weeks. Like, since you are so immersed in the free agent talk, do you ever find yourself (laughs) – viewing the world through this lens like you see certain people like you know what i would give that person a franchise tag or this person (laughs) maybe the transition or this person nah just you're just a cap cut it's too much yeah right a certain friend i'm like you know i kind of like them but let's give it another year you know i'm not sure i want to commit to a (laughs) long-term relationship with this that hasn't happened yet but I, i like where your head's at that very well could happen yeah, I, this is this is what happened would happen with me. In fact, it'll probably happen uh, later today. Now that I've like opened up this thought in my brain. Um, so, okay, obviously, free agency you know effectively starts March fifteenth when when uh, teams can start talking to players and then uh, signings. I guess on the seventeenth. So um, we're getting ahead of that. And look, I mean, we've talked a lot here about various situations. The Alex Smith. Um, news is officially out. He is being released today, officially just a few minutes ago. Again, not a surprise. Um, that's going to open up the door for Washington for sure. Let me ask you sort of this broad question. When you think of free agency, um, Washington is going to have roughly at this moment, like $53 million in cap space, which is going to put it, I don't want to say exactly where, because the moves are constantly happening with all teams, but it's going to make them one of the real obvious players in this league only hit like four or five, six teams have real kind of money to that end. What, um, I guess, what's your sense of what that, what that can really do if a team wants to be aggressive or, or, or just get out there and see what they can, what do you think that kind of spending power is going to make for this particular year? Yeah, right. You definitely can spend at the top of the market if you're a team like Washington and, and there aren't going to be a ton of teams that can do that. So we have to see who's going to get the franchise tag. But certainly, you know, I think wide receiver and edge rush are probably the two strongest areas in free agency. And of course, defensive line is not an area where Washington needs help. So then the wide receiver becomes the area where if they want to spend, and we know they were in on Amari Cooper last year, if they want to add somebody to pair with Terry McLaurin, this could be a year to do that. You know, I'm interested in the big picture thinking uh, of Washington this off season, because obviously you 
win the NFC East last year, you make the playoffs. But if you really look at it, you know, if they're looking at it and thinking, are we close to winning a Super Bowl? I think they would probably be mistaken if they if they thought they were really in contention. I mean, we know how bad the NFC East was last offseason. So I do think even with that money to spend, they've got to be smart about it. They've got to be patient. They've got to pick their spots. You don't want to uh, sort of give up flexibility, I think, in future years because you feel like you're close or you really want to build on what you did last season. Yeah, I think that to me, that is the million dollar question. And I probably shouldn't say the million dollar question when we're talking about millions of dollars. But uh, yeah, because that, that is the thing. We can all sit here and speculate. They should do this. They're going to do that. But without knowing how they view the world, if they think we're here, let's go. Who knows? They could throw 20 million at, at, at some players and go crazy. Or they might think Ugh, this quarterback situation, we can't really know. We, we don't really have a great option. And that is, it seems like the, the scenario and we have a young team. Let's not rush this thing. Um, before we get into some specifics on Washington, but just curious, I'm looking at the the board here. Jacksonville has the most cap space, 85 million. The Jets, 77. Uh, this is as of Friday morning. The Patriots, 66.5. Then Washington, 54.2. Colts, 44.7. Broncos, 44. Bengals, Panthers, Chargers, 49ers, Dolphins, Browns, Cowboys. All these teams have at least 20 million. Any of these teams that you think you either see being a team to watch it's going to be bold in, in free agency or maybe a team in here that you think eh, I don't know if they're going to really they may have the money but I don't know if I see them actually doing anything two teams really stand out one is the Jets and that's just because like you said they've got the money they've got the new regime they add Robert Sala and they just need so much help on their roster. You know, they, we're thinking they're probably or, or certainly could go quarterback at number two. They've got draft capital. They can certainly use that, but they just need like, you know, competent NFL football players. So I, I don't know if they're going to spend at the top of the market. I, I think they certainly could in some of these areas, but they also can add just in a lot of different areas, whether it's guys on short-term deals or being patient and looking for value. So I certainly think they're going to add a lot of players. And then the other team that it's interesting to me is the New England Patriots. And normally I have Patriots fatigue, I'll be honest, after <laughs> the last uh, decade or 20 years or whatever we want to talk about. But this offseason is very interesting for them because they can't be, you know, Bill Belichick is not probably in the business of a long-term rebuild. And so you look at it, they didn't make the playoffs last year. They have no answer at quarterback. They have a higher draft pick than they usually have. And they've got this cap space, which like they never have. And so if you ever wanted to find out what does Bill Belichick think about sort of starting a roster almost from, I don't want to say from scratch, but you know, almost in that respect, uh, in the year 2021, you're going to find out this offseason. You know, does he believe that uh, you build the defense from the back to the front with the secondary? Does he believe that the offensive line is much more important than wide receiver talent? Uh, what does he think about quarterback? Is he is this going to be a year where they actually make a splashy move, or is he going to be patient once again and just see who's left, uh, who can be had for value? So all these different kinds of questions about how Bill Belichick thinks you should best build a roster in the year 2021. We're going to find out some answers to those we, we we are now we're also going to find out some answers right now about how shield would spend his money because why i gave shield some homework going into this it basically was this uh we're going to put the quarterback talk aside and look the reality is as it stands there's really nobody to spend crazy money on in free agency anyway so we're going to put that aside we said washington has this money so i, I said let's imagine a world in which they have four they're going to they have four slots they're going to spend like legitimate money on I said one would be 15 million, 110, 18, 15. And knowing that their their main needs are essentially wide receiver, 
left tackle, linebacker, defensive back, as we know, it could be cornerback if Ronald Darby were to leave or it could be free safety if Darby were to stay. So since Sheila is the free agent guy, I'm like, all right, look, you have to decide for these slots, which position you can only one, one of these needs per one slot. So which of these needs gets the big money, which one is towards the bottom. And then within that, who are you picking for those slots? Um, I just made that utterly confusing, but hopefully everybody following along at home is, <laughs> is, is, is along, is along and, and, and has me here so far. So wh- where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the 5 million or the 15 million? You want to start at the top or the bottom? Yeah, let's go big. Let's make, let's keep the listeners in and go with the big names first. How about that? Let's do it. Who uh, so uh, and I did say technically that if you if, if you see the 15, but you say, OK, I think they should go for this person. He's going to cost more. I said, that's fine. You can spend more. But then we're taking you off of one of the other slots. So whatever you want to do, the 15 million dollar slot for the Washington football team, what are you doing with it? Yeah. So for the big slot, uh, I've got them going wide receiver. Now there's a little bit of guesswork here because at this point we don't know who's going to be available and who will be tagged. Uh, Chris Godwin, I don't think is going to be available. I think it would be a surprise, but in the event that they say, you know what, we've got Scotty Miller, we've got Antonio Brown. uh, We're just going to let Chris Godwin walk here in free agency. I think he would be at the top of the list. If I were uh, the Washington football team, I mean, this is a guy who can play uh, in the slot or play on the outside he's got great intangibles he's high effort he makes spectacular catches he had 1300 yards uh two seasons ago and so he would be at the top of my wish list to spend that money now that's going to cost you 18 19 20 million dollars and so that that is a big price free agent he's only 25 years old so um you know on one hand that's a lot of money on the other hand i think he's a high floor high ceiling player and he's young and so he should just now be entering his prime now let's say godwin uh, is not available i still you know i'm still sticking with wide receiver i think kenny galladay is a player who could certainly uh, make sense for them he was injured last year he, he only appeared i think uh in five games because of a hip injury but if you look at the previous two years this was a big play receiver average nearly 17 yards per reception and uh, really productive size on the outside really can fill a void there again will he receive the franchise tag very very well could be the case could be a tag and trade something there so i'll give you a third name here ben and this is a guy who i, I think you know is almost definitely going to reach the market and that's Corey davis from the Tennessee Titans. And this would be in kind of that second tier of wide receiver. You know, he's not, I don't think going to be in that 16 million and above range. I think you're probably looking more at like the 12 to $14 million a year range for Corey Davis. Uh, You know, this was a first round pick. The Titans declined his fifth year option, but he played really well last year. He had almost a thousand yards. If you look at some of the advanced stats in terms of yards per route run, he really graded out well there. And so I think if they're looking for someone who can play on the outside with Terry McLaurin, uh, I think Corey Davis is, is a player who could be had for, for not that top tier wide receiver money, but still in that $15 million range, uh, maybe a little bit less and who could really help them. Um, all right. Interesting names. Of course, you didn't mention Allen Robinson. Do you think that is that because he think he's getting the tag or he's even going to be more expensive than these other guys? And at some point you got to call it a day. 
Yeah, I thought he was probably he's probably the least likely, I think, to be uh, available. And also, if I'm Allen Robinson and I just spent, you know, three years with uh, Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles, I just got, you know, I sort of <laughs> think he's going to want to go to a team where he's going to get high level quarterback play along with that money. But uh, I wouldn't rule that out. I, I think you could put him in that Godwin Galladay mix where a guy, if he is available, certainly they could at least pitch him and make a strong push for um, you mentioned Corey Davis, and he's certainly an interesting guy. Um, I don't know exactly from a money perspective exactly if they're in the same rank, but I think they would probably be uh, Curtis Samuel with the, with the Panthers, and maybe he's a little bit more money. I'm not sure. Uh, he obviously is a guy that everybody's connecting here because of the Ron Rivera, Marty Herney uh, factor. Obviously, I think Urban Meyer is going to be interested in him because he played him at Ohio State. Uh, I'm curious, like, having uh, you know these guys so well, how do you view – the Curtis Samuel, Corey Davis thing, if, you know, are they, are they comparable? Did you view if one is more than the other, do you like the value that maybe if Davis is less the value that he has versus Samuel? Yeah, I think they're uh, very different players. You know, Curtis Samuel is going to be a slot receiver, a gadget type guy. He actually had 41 carries last year. They were handing the ball off to him and he was like running inside. Here's my thing with Samuel and the connection to Scott Turner and Ron Rivera in Washington is that Samuel was not a great player his, his first three years. I mean, if you look at it really by any metric, he was actually one of the least efficient wide receivers those three years in Scott Turner's system. You know, catch rate was low. Uh, I think his max was what's around 600 yards he had in one season. The idea of Curtis Samuel was always better than the actual player during those first three years, if we're looking at it fairly. And last year he got unlocked a little bit with Joe Brady and the way used it, they used him and he played really well. And so Curtis Samuel is a guy I look at where if he goes to a team with an offensive coordinator who has a great plan for him, knows how to use him, he can absolutely be a, a difference making player and a really fun offensive player. I think if he goes to an, a scheme where the offensive coordinator kind of, you know, has some idea, but doesn't know exactly how to get the most out of him that he could be a bust. And so, um, you know, I, I'm not saying that, you know, Scott Turner did a bad job or anything like that, but you know, he had this player, uh, and Ron Rivera had this player and they really did not get a lot of, uh, production out of him. So that's why, uh, that would surprise me a little bit, but who knows? I, I could be wrong. And Corey Davis is different. He's a guy who you can just line up on the outside, you know, yards after the catch contested catches. Um, he's more of just a prototypical outside wide receiver. And so in terms of salary, I think Corey Davis is going to cost more. I think he's probably in that maybe 12 to $14 million a year range. Whereas Curtis Samuel might be more in like that nine to $11 million a year range. Again, these are just guesses, Ben, you know, it only takes one team and all of a sudden they blow these projections out of the water. And I look <laughs> yeah. like an idiot with everything I wrote, but that's just kind of my sense going into it. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a lot going on. We still don't quite, you know, the whole salary cap structure and yeah, just, it, the, we're all trying to figure out what all these teams are going to do. Um, let me ask you this. This is one of my favorite thoughts that the listeners have heard this, but I want to ask somebody like you, who's really into this stuff um, and knows what he's talking about. I personally, like if we were going to construct a team from scratch and say, okay, here's how much money I want to allocate for different positions. Receiver for me would be near the bottom. Now I would, you need to have at least, I think one guy who is a big difference maker who can force commands a double team that's helping opening things up for everybody else and obviously make plays. But I don't, I, it's, such a, it's such a dependent position. It's, it's furthest away from the physical ball on every play. It is not something I typically want to invest in. Therefore, 
I've got Terry McLaurin on my team. Now he's not up for a contract extension for another year at least, but you know, and you never know what's going to happen, but man, he clearly is a guy I want to keep great player, great in the locker room, across the board, uh, all, all good stuff. So if I spend real money right now on these, any of these other receivers we just discussed, if I have to then pay Terry McLaurin at the end of the year, either a, I've got to pay Terry McLaurin the same or more than this guy I'm bringing in for the most part. I mean, maybe if it's Allen Robinson or Chris Godwin, I don't know, maybe I'm not getting Terry McLaurin to 18 to 20, but maybe I'm why, why am I not? If he keeps doing what he's doing. Right. So that's an insane, a lot of money for a receiver or yes, technically you can re- you can structure these contracts in lots of different ways so that maybe by the year that McLaurin is up for free agency or something, it's not really, you know, you, the, the numbers have changed a lot. Maybe it's front loaded. So that said, what do you think of that aspect that you've got this guy who in a year, at least you could start giving him real money. Do, do you, do you like spending money at that position or would you kind of think maybe there's something to the idea of uh, maybe I shouldn't go crazy here because of this thing that's going to come up down the line? No, I think it's a totally fair point. You know, I still think for the most part, the old school way of build on the lines of scrimmage, you know, I think certainly you have to have talent at wide receiver, but I think your point is a good one that it has become a little bit easier to find that talent. You know, we see rookie wide receivers like Justin Jefferson. Now that that could be the exception, but we see guys coming in and being productive right away. And so if you can get a guy like that, you know, even with Washington's first round pick, maybe you spend that on wide receiver. Now you have a guy on a rookie contract as opposed to paying a guy $20 million per year. I'll tell you what was tough about this exercise, Ben, is that the positions you gave me, it was a little bit difficult to kind of identify where do you want to spend that, that $15 million a year? Because, you know, certainly left tackle would be a position where normally I would say, yeah, go ahead and spend the money there. That's smart. But if you look at this free agent class of left tackles, you know, we don't think Trent Williams is going to be coming back to Washington. And so if you take, put him aside, it's, there's not really a player there that I would say, all right, spend, uh, spend $15 million on this left tackle. And so that's what made this um, a little bit difficult, but I don't disagree there with your overall premise. Um, and just to, we'll, we'll cap the receivers with this is you look further down the list. Let's just say for argument's sake, Washington thinks, Hey, Cam Sims came on late in the year for us. He's a restricted free agent. We want him back. Antonio Gandy golden's rookie year was basically wiped out with injuries. Um, we think those guys are good. You know, maybe we wait for the draft because it's a pretty loaded class. We do that, but we still need to add somebody. Is there anybody sort of further down the list? I don't want to say in the bargain bin, but just somebody who's maybe overlooked or who won't command any big salary that you think that's an interesting uh, person to uh, to target. Yeah, I think I think there are mid-tier guys, and this really could be their best avenue. You know, if they're not in love with one of those top wide receivers, you don't spend money just to spend it. If you like Corey Davis, but all of a sudden his price tag gets out of hand, then I don't think you force that either. So uh, there are some guys, if you just look at kind of one small tier down, you know, Will Fuller is sort of an interesting name that is probably going to have to accept a one-year deal because he's had all kinds of injury problems and he was playing really well last year, but then he had a PED suspension. And so he got suspended for the final six games. So that could be a guy if you're just saying you know what let's buy a year let's uh, make sure we surround our quarterback with talent for 2021 let's add will fuller on a one-year deal you know you might be paying him maybe a uh, 10 million dollars but it's only one year and then you don't have a long-term commitment that certainly could make sense a guy like nelson Aguilar played really well last year for the raiders uh they got him on a very uh, cheap contract last season he played well he can play on the outside 
or play in the slot. Marvin Jones is a player who's been very productive, a veteran receiver from the Detroit Lions. I, I would put him kind of in that same tier. And then even if you go down a little bit further, you know, a couple guys, Rashard Higgins from the Browns, uh, you know, he had around 600 yards last year with Cleveland. He is a guy you could pencil in and he at least gives you a high floor. And Kendrick Bourne is another name uh, I would mention with the 49ers who I would put in that same category with Higgins. Those guys are not going to break the bank by any means. And I think they can at least give you competent wide receiver play where if you're pairing them with Terry McLaurin, you're at least going to give your quarterback some options. Uh, you're, uh, you're listening to the standard room only podcast, Ben Standick here with, uh, with my guy, Shiel Kapadia from the athletic, one of our NFL reporters, go-to guy on all things free agency. And of course he's also uh, he's a go-to for the Philadelphia Eagles. You can react to that however you want. Uh, I'm not, 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 I'm not not, not not recommending or, or, or saying you shouldn't pay attention to the Eagles. I'm just saying Shields, a guy who knows those things. Um, you mentioned Kendrick Bourne. I'm glad you did. I want, as we veer into some of these other categories. So I just put up a story on Friday for the athletic. Uh, every time any player gets cut in this league, the, the question immediately becomes, I sure everybody around the league probably does this, but I feel like with us here with covering this team, it's even more so look, has this player ever played for Carolina or has Ron Rivera ever had dinner with them? Because Ron Rivera clearly showed us last year he's all about bringing back people he knows. A lot of guys on the roster had Carolina ties during the year. They would sign random free agents like a Taylor Heineke. It felt like every guy that used to play with, with Carolina, the coaching staff and the, and, the, and the training staff littered with former Carolina guys. And then you start looking at, okay, well, it's not just Ron Rivera. They've also got Marty Herney. They've also got Martin Mayhew, two former well, GMs. Mayhew now the technical GM. They both kind of are on some level. You've got Chris Polian, who was a um, former GM in the league, was a, had, had an assistant GM in, in other places as well. Uh, Eric Stokes was an assistant GM. You also have Jack Del Rio, former head coach, now the defensive coordinator. Scott Turner was in Minneapolis, was in Minnesota, so on and so on. When you think of these things, when you go break down your list of like, uh, you'll, you know, various points, you'll say, I think this, this player, I'm predicting this guy's going to go to this team. How much do you factor in these prior connections or is that, is some of that stuff overstated? I think it's relevant. You know, you laid it out. I read your article and you laid it out. I mean, there is a history there and we see it, whether it's with, you know, coaches hiring uh, front office people they know or vice versa or coaches hiring people on their staff that they know, uh, you know, that familiarity certainly plays a role and it does play a role with players. Uh, you know, the thing with free agency is you can love a player's film. Uh, you can say, hey, we love this guy coming out of the draft. But that sort of uh, intangible, you know, you get some more intel on these guys when they come out for the draft, right? You can interview them. You can have them for team visits. You can talk to them at the combine, at the senior bowl. That's not how free agency works. I mean, I mean, basically it's, do you want the player or not? And especially the top guys, you've got to be able to act quickly. It's not like you're going through an interview process with them. And so you have to lean on uh, your previous intel a bit. And I think that's why teams look at it. And if they can find a player and say, we had this guy on our roster. He was a hard worker. He was great in the locker room you know he he fought through injury whatever intangibles they're sort of looking for I think that definitely does play a factor and uh, you know for the most part I guess it would probably go team by team but I don't think it's overstated I, I think it's a thing that happens quite a bit yeah I mean it should be noted they tried to get Amari Cooper last year offered him 100 million dollars I don't know of any particular ties between Rivera now that now I guess in fairness Jack Del Rio had Amari Cooper in Oakland there you go so yeah. there's that so uh yeah um 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I do think there's something to it. And this coach has showed us we need to pay attention, which is why I spent way too much time yesterday <laughs> going through like everybody I could think of. I'm sure I missed a couple but going through all the prominent ones I could think of there. All right. So, so let's get back to this game that I've made you play. Um, where, so you just used the, the high end spot, the $15 million slot on receiver. Did we, did we, uh, wait, did, just to be good, did I lock you in on any one name in particular? I know we said we don't know, but I, I like, I'm going to force you to, did we lock you in? If we, if we I'll make you pick somebody. Who, who do we got? Let's say Corey Davis, based on who's going to be available and who's not going to be in that top tier range. Let's say they get Corey Davis for, uh, let's say, $14 million a year. Okay. So now we move on to the $10 million slot. Again, this is I'm making Shield go into these categories. He is not doing this. There's nobody forcing anybody to do anything. I'm just picking out <laughs> random numbers, guessing you know how Washington could spend their money, non-quarterbacks. So we cross off receiver that leaves for left tackle, linebacker, and defensive back, either corner or, or free safety. Um, and if he wants to spend the money on Ronald Darby, we can just go do that too. Um, so $10 million slot, what are you thinking? So this is where I went to the offensive line here. Left tackle is obviously a premium position. Those guys get paid. As I just mentioned, it's not a great group. You know, you look at it and uh, Trent Williams, I think is going to get a huge deal from somebody. After that, you have a guy like Alejandro Villanueva from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now he's 32 years old and, and is already showing some decline. So is that a player, if you're Washington, you really want to invest big money in? I don't think so. Um, if you want a younger player, Cam Robinson from Jacksonville is a player who hasn't put it all together yet. You know, I think if you looked at his film uh, and some of the other things, you would say this is not a high level left tackle. But from the people I've talked to, the talent is there. And so there's a belief that if you can get Cam Robinson, who I think is 25, 26 years old uh, with a great offensive line coach, his best football could still be ahead of him. So that that could be a player to keep an eye on. But the player I've got him, and I, I leaned on your piece quite a bit, Ben, because I, I thought that was well done with their previous connections. Uh, I thought Russell Okung could be a player that makes sense for Washington. You know, he, he has not been healthy, and this would certainly be a placeholder type deal where you say, let's take a flyer on him. You know, we'll give him a one-year, let's say, $8 million contract for Russell Okung. It's not going to prevent us from drafting a left tackle. You know, if we see a left tackle in the first, second, or third round who we really like, we're going to go ahead and draft that guy as our left tackle of the future. But if we don't, we don't want to be completely stuck with nobody at this position. So uh, let's get Okung. Let's see if he can kind of stay healthier than he has been the past two years. Uh, maybe he can help us a little bit as kind of that Band-Aid solution. Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, looking at the pro football focus numbers, I think I had it said like he was ranked like in the 30s last year among among tackles. Cornelius Lucas, who stabilized the position for Washington over the second half, was like right 22. I think Okun was like 34 or something like that. So you look at that and you think, well, wait, why would you go out and spend more money on this other guy if you have the better guy? Now, based on history, Russell Okun is is the better guy. He's he's been a pro bowler. He's been one of the better tackles in the league historically. But as you said, he's been hurt the last couple of years. His potential, I imagine they would have think, is higher than um, what you would get from, from Cornelius Lucas, who was solid and I think does give them some flexibility be between his presence. You've, you've got Sadiq Charles, their fourth-round pick last year, who was going to be in the left tackle mix, got hurt. They tried him a guard, two snaps in, got hurt again, was out. So he fits in there somewhere. So they don't, like, have to go crazy at tackle, but it does feel like They've got to figure out something. And I would also say if Brandon Scherf leaves somehow, then then they really have a lot of money to spend on the line. And 
now it becomes interesting. I, I agree on Trent Williams just for fun. Like it seems highly improbable <laughs> that he would come back for all kinds of reasons. But I actually don't think it's improbable from his end, meaning I don't think there's like a zero percent chance he would return. I think there's maybe, wow. I think there's uh, money's everything. If, if I assume San Francisco yeah. is going to throw it all at him, but he said what he during the season, um, he told it when, when the when the two teams played and he talked about the situation. He said when Ron Rivera came in, he actually thought there was a chance that he might stay. But then Rivera, who had told us all this already to some degree, was like, I'm not giving any money to anybody that I don't know quite yet. I need to figure out what we have and who these people are and how they fit into what they're doing, what I'm doing. So Trent Williams said he took, he understood it, didn't take offense to it. And Rivera said nice things as well. So I don't think it's insane. And Martin Mayhew was with Trent Williams this last year to whatever degree that means anything. But again, I just talked about it way more than the likelihood. It's maybe 1% <laughs> chance or, you know, because I don't think San Francisco is getting it, letting him away. And other teams like the Indianapolis Colts have yeah. as much money as Washington does, and they need that position badly. And they may be that one position away from getting uh, to the next level beyond the Carson Wentz aspect. Um, all right. So, so, okay. Yeah. So Russell Kuhn, I think makes a lot of sense. You recommended, you said, oh, this is not a great class. I agree with that. Um, so we've got linebacker defensive back left. What do you, what do you think here? So, uh, well, last one last thing I wanted to mention on, uh, on, on tackle is that yeah. uh, I would keep an eye on sort of the trade market there, you know, a guy like Orlando Brown, if, like you said, if Washington has money and they say, you know what, we don't want just a band-aid type guy, you know, Kung, uh, we like Lucas, but we didn't think he was great. I mean, Orlando Brown is 24, 25 years old. This is a guy with a pro bowl ceiling. He can solidify that spot for you for the next five, six, seven years. Now you would have to give up significant draft capital to get him, but, um, you know, if there are other left tackles available, maybe that could be an avenue they go to. All right, I move to linebacker next, and I was kind of split on this. You know, there there was a point in this exercise when I when I was doing my homework, as you mentioned, where I thought maybe this is an area where they go big, you know, maybe they sign someone like Matt Milano from the Buffalo bills, who, who's going to get, you know, maybe 11, uh, 12, $13 million a year, but that's a three down linebacker. Um, we know that's an important position in Ron Rivera's system. They, they had great linebackers in Carolina. Maybe that's somewhere where they would invest. So I, I think that is possible, you know, that they would go after somebody like Matt Milano and it would make sense, but the way I did it and, and I settled on wide receiver, uh, I gave them Nicholas Morrow in uh in free agency this is a player uh with the las vegas raiders last year i think he's got 29 career starts he was really surrounded by uh terrible talent there you know talking to uh some people who know that team well they kind of felt like it, it would be this a player it would be fun to see him kind of in a better scheme with better players because he does have coverage ability uh he can blitz he, he's gotten after the quarterback a little bit he's young he's in his mid-20s and he's not going to break the bank so you know these are the types of value signings that really good teams, smart teams are able to make in free agency where you're signing a player to maybe a mid-tier contract and all of a sudden he really flourishes in your scheme and his best football is ahead of him. And I know you you had written, I think they have a connection to him, right, Ben? Uh, yeah, Del, Del Rio, he was there in 2017 with Del Rio's last, last year. And so I looked him up because I didn't know much about him. And to your point about coverage, like that was a big issue for Washington's linebackers last year was coverage. And Morrow, according to pro football focus, I was like top 20, I think like 18th in, um, in, in their, in their ratings in terms of coverage. So that's interesting um, for, from that perspective. 
um, for, for, for sure. Um, I want to go back to Milano for a second. Um, you know, it's funny, I, you know, I, the more I cover this team, the less I watch the league broadly because I'm either at the game or, you know, every time it's a one o'clock start, I don't even yeah, get, of course. I don't get my head up until the night game. So I kind of don't see all these things. And, you know, whenever I'm watching, say, like most people, I'm watching these games. I'm watching what's the quarterbacks doing or how's my fantasy team doing. I'm not necessarily watching the random linebacker on another team. So Matt Milano is a guy you've got him, I think, 35th on your list among free agents overall. He could command if you look at some numbers. I mean, you projected like 12 to 14 million. I, I've kind of heard some some similar things. And while I can't directly tie Matt Milano to Ron Rivera or anybody on the staff, he is from Buffalo. Brandon Bean is the connection there. Ron Rivera and Marty Herney, that's their guy from their days in Carolina. If Brandon Bean, and apparently from what I heard, and you probably have as well, they're letting him go. It appears not because they want to let him go, but the, when you become good, you got to start paying people and they can't pay everybody. So he's going to be right. one of those guys that gets that gets uh, jettisoned essentially. So if Bean says good things, uh, that seems interesting to me. And I'm like you said, Rivera wants a three down linebacker. So what's your view on, on Milano just generally? Like what kind of player is he? And is he kind of worth, do you think, that 12 to 14 million if that's where it goes? Yeah, if, if you look at the market, you know, last offseason, uh, Corey Littleton, Joe Schobert, Blake Martinez, all those guys got between 10 and 10 and $11 million per year. And I think most people would agree Milano is at least in that class. So that's probably the floor. And then you look at some other guys, Miles Jack, Deion Jones, uh, Zach Cunningham, those guys got $14 million a year. So I think he's somewhere probably in that 11 to 14 range. Uh, he, he definitely is a three down linebacker. You know, he, he's not one of these downhill thumpers. He fits the NFL in 2021 he's not going to have to come off the field he's got good instincts in zone coverage we know washington uh plays a lot of zone really he's been one of buffalo's best defensive players over the last few years now the reason why you might get him maybe at a little bit of a discount is because he was injured last year and so we only played in five regular season games and so you know some guys really make the most of their contract years and other guys kind of had bad luck and he's somebody who's had bad luck, but he hasn't had huge durability issues throughout the course of his career. It was just kind of a one year thing. So uh, I, I think he fits their scheme. I think he's young. I think he can be a core piece uh, on that defense. So there are a lot of things about that that would make sense to me. Um, all right. So we're down to the defensive backs. I thought of something that I did want to get back to in the last few minutes I have here with you before we get to them. Um, you mentioned before the, when we're talking about tackles, you mentioned Orlando Brown, uh, possibly with, with the Ravens and the, the basic gist is there is he wants to play left tackle and the Ravens are, are good there. So he's saying, get me out of here. And now obviously it's, 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 it's it, these are like more like NBA trades when you go player and player, uh, yeah. but you know, not as much in the NFL, but let's have a little fun for a quick second. So a story I wrote the other day about here's sort of like a 10 point plan for Washington, because I know, you know. Marty Herney and Mark Mason just listen to me because I obviously I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he says sarcastically. Um, one of my thoughts was because Ron Rivera has said that they don't want to just spend this money that they have on other people's free agents. They want to sort of take care of their own people. Jonathan Allen is due. He's going to his fifth, the fifth year option to do for an, he can get an extension. He's the first of the four consecutive first round picks that uh, they drafted the defensive line, not consecutive first round picks, but four defensive linemen they picked in the first round. Dwayne Haskins was mixed in there. Um, my thought is this, one reason to extend Allen, not only is he good, he probably had his best all around year last year, but if you don't extend him and he goes into free agency, you're kind of saying, I mean, assuming you want to keep, you can't realistically keep all four of these guys on extensions. So you, if, you, if you let Allen go, 
you're basically saying to Duran, to the agents for Duran Payne and Montez Sweat, the two next up, hey, guess what? Big payday's coming your way because we don't want, we're not going to let all of you guys walk for free. So you guys kind of know we're going to be, you know, over a barrel a little bit. That's why I think if you sign Allen up front, it takes the pressure off of having to sign these other two. I'm assuming Chase Young is going to get his money several years from now. So here's my yeah. question. If you're ball, if you're Washington, do you take call up Baltimore and say, Hey, look, here's the deal. We've got Deron Payne. Now I don't want to trade him, but we, we we're going to keep Allen. We're going to have sweat and young later, but we also have Matt Ioannidis coming back from injury. And we have Tim settle who I think was like third on, on the team in sacks last year, third or fourth in sacks. So from Washington's perspective, they have depth there. Is that, I don't know if you view Payne for Brown straight up fair. You can sit, say that, but like, is that something that even seems remotely interesting or is that just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just having a moment here as like a fan on the trade machine type thing. You're speaking my language, Ben. You you know this is the stuff that uh, I love, and and that's really interesting. I hadn't uh, previously thought of that. So Deron Payne would be under contract for how many more uh, he was, years here? He was a 2018 first round pick. So okay. um, you know, technically, he could get an extension now. His fifth year would be okay. next year. That you know, I'm sure they'll be picking up his fifth year option any day. Okay. You know, at some point. Um, so it's not that you want to get rid of him and he's arguably better than Jonathan Allen. Some people think he's arguably their most talented defensive lineman period, but they just happen to have more depth inside. In fact, at the end right now, I actually think on their needs list, they actually have to get depth behind young and sweat, assuming Ryan Kerrigan and Ryan Anderson both leave. So they don't have depth there, but they do have it at tackle. And like I said, I just, you basically have to decide you want to keep your two ends or your two tackles. You realistically cannot keep all four. I think this is a would be a really interesting trade. I, I don't think it's crazy. You might you might have to call uh, you know call some front office people for both of those teams and see if they would be interested. Because here's the case for Baltimore is that they certainly need players in their front seven. You know they could lose Yannick Ngakwe and Matthew Judon um, this offseason in free agency. Last offseason uh, they lost Michael Pierce, their nose tackle, and so they definitely need help on the defensive line. And with a guy like Deron Payne. Like you mentioned, he is on the last year of a rookie contract in 2021, and then you still have the ability for to get him on that fifth-year option for 2022, or you could just extend him if you really like the player. And I, I mean, everything about him would be the type of player that I think the Baltimore Ravens would really like. And so, if you're going to trade Orlando Brown, and, and you would hope to get, you know, like a top 40 pick, I would say for him, would you rather do that? Or you've got a team that's ready to compete for the Super Bowl. Would you rather get a guy who you take out out some of that risk that we see with first round picks, even second, you know, second round picks, and you get a guy who you know who he can play, you know he can help you both against the run uh, and in terms of a pass rush. Uh, that could make sense. And then if you're Washington, you're not giving up draft capital, like you mentioned. It's a forward thinking move where you say, you know what, he's a player we love, but at the same time, we know we're not going to be able to extend all of these first round picks. Who We've drafted at defensive line. Let's move him. Let's get Orlando Brown to be our left tackle. You know, we'll pay him at the top of the market, uh, $20 million per year. We will solve that. Uh, and we'll have him for the next five, six, seven years. So I'm trying to think a, a stri- I don't think a straight up um, deal would be out of the question. I think if anybody had to give anything up, it would be Washington maybe has to give up an additional pick, but I don't think that would be like a high pick. You know, I think certainly Duran Payne and maybe like a fourth round pick for Orlando Brown. I mean, something like that, I think certainly uh, could make sense. So uh, you've definitely piqued my interest there. 
All right. Well, then my my, my mission is accomplished today <laughs> if, I, if I've done that much. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think it's interesting. I mean, you know, they, 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 again, it's not that they don't have some options left tackle, but they don't have anything that is like that obvious. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it, this is not a great market and it is a position they have depth at. So and by, and again, if you're going to have sort of sort of a generic quarterback, then you need to fill in a lot around them. That's why spending big on receiver from that perspective isn't the worst idea. And then simultaneously adding a tackle. Um, all right, let's get uh, get down here. So we're down to the last spot. I've lost track of how we're spending the money exactly, but oh well, that's fine. The, we're, we're down to the secondary, which is where you're going to spend this last slot. Um, just, I don't know what your thought is, but like, how, how is Ronald Darby factoring into whatever you're doing here? Maybe you're going to say, give Ronald Darby money, but whatever. How does he factor in? Like, what's your sense of him in this market? It doesn't look like it's a great corner market, but there's some guys in you know, sort of middle tier that, that look interesting. Yeah, I, I think he is in that middle tier. I, I think they got good value uh, for him last year, obviously, that with that one-year, $3 million deal. And I think rather than say, okay, uh, we need to keep Ronald Darby because he played well for us last year, I kind of think they should be looking probably for the next Ronald Darby. You know, who, who's a guy you can get on a uh, low-cost deal who might not give you the exact same production, but who is a scheme fit, um, you know, who, who would be good in the zone coverages that you're playing. So uh, there are some interesting names there. You know, I think one guy who, who won't be that inexpensive, but I think could make sense is Michael Davis. And, and I know this is another guy who I know you had mentioned in your piece who has a connection to their defensive backs coach he's a he's a pretty interesting player you know he's 26 years old he's six six foot two uh he's got really athletic traits if you look at him coming out of college uh you know he, he was solid uh he wasn't great last year was solid i think certainly like a number two type cornerback but i do think there's a certainly a ceiling with him that you might not get with some of these other players given how young he is he's only 26 years old he has 35 career starts and so uh he's a player that uh i thought could make sense for Washington, where he's probably, I would guess, in that six to seven million dollar a year range. So you're not spending a ton there, but you're you're definitely getting a starting caliber player who might have a high ceiling. All right, um, I, I I like it. Um, not not to cut short the the, the secondary talk, uh, but oh, actually, let me ask you this: uh, safeties. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's conceivable that they you know keep Darby or add somebody, and then safety, you know. I think there's still a world maybe where they take Cam Curl, slide him over to free safety because they can't realistically get rid of Landon Collins this year, even if they wanted to. Anybody in a free safety market you like at the high or any, any, any one name that kind of jumps out to you? I mean, Trey Boston has the obvious connection, right? He, he right. should know the scheme well. Uh, he got released by the Panthers. I don't think he's going to cost a ton. He's a prototypical free safety, so the skill set there matches really well with Landon Collins, and so he is a name that came to mind. And then, then there are other veterans available, you know, Deron Harmon to Sean Gibson. These are guys who are around 30 years old who you might be able to get on one-year deals. You're not going to break the bank for them. So uh, I think someone like that, would probably uh, make sense for Washington. Now, if they want to, if this is an area where they want to spend, it's actually a really good safety market. I mean, Marcus Williams from the Saints, John Johnson. You know, if you're looking at a sort of under the radar guy, who if they're looking to spend a lot of money, 
he's a he's an interesting player who, who could fit their scheme. He played a lot of two deep coverages with the Rams. Uh, he played 100% of the snaps last season. He can do a lot of different types of things. If you like a, a defensive back with versatility, he's 25 years old. Um, and so he maybe he's a name to kind of keep an eye on if you think, all right, they don't maybe they don't spend it wide receiver. Maybe they build up that defense. That's kind of a player who should be at, at an age where he's going to get paid, uh, who could be a good fit for them. Yeah, I, I'm 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 sort of low key thinking free safety is a spot that they that they do some stuff with, but like I said, a lot that, because they they just don't have anybody. Obviously, again, unless they think Cam Curl can make that move, and I don't not saying he can't, but I, I don't know if that's how they view him. But I'm sure they want to get Cam Curl on the field as much as possible. Um, all right, uh, I I didn't brace you for this, but you know, I, I basically ask all the guests like five questions. I get to know you questions better, and I'll lump in some of these last couple topics here as well. So. Be ready. You ready? Okay. Okay. All right. uh, you have some Twitter followers. I notice. who is somebody on Twitter that doesn't follow you that wish that you wish did. Oh my gosh. Huh? That is a, that is a tough question. I'm trying to think here. The, the, uh, the, the answers typically <laughs> range from like, my initial answer was like Rihanna, but then you have people who go with like a childhood, a childhood hero. I've had some people call out their cut their local colleagues who don't follow them. So you can go in all kinds of, uh, all kinds of directions. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I, I am tempted to say like Larry David, but I don't even, he's not on Twitter. I don't believe. So that wouldn't be a good one. What am I watching? That would be good. Uh, what are some of my favorite shows? You really kind of threw me for a loop um, with I mean, this one. Cobra, Cobra Kai was probably my show of the, of the pandemic. <laughs> so like, if, I mean, I, I, I was, more, I, I oddly became more of a Billy Zapka than a Ralph Macchio guy as the show went on. But if, you know, I don't know if Zapka's on Twitter, he probably is. But if Macchio followed, that would be pretty crazy if the Karate Kid followed me on Twitter. I've heard that that is a that is a good show and is not one that I've watched. All right, I know this is lame. Let let me come back to that one. I'm not skipping it completely. I'm just trying to scroll scroll through my timeline here to come up with a good one for you. So I All promise right. I'll come back to that. One. All right, this is why you're a thorough researcher. This is why you're good at your job. <laughs> um, favorite all time athlete. Favorite all-time athlete. Uh, you know, uh, when I was growing up, I was a big uh, Philadelphia Phillies fan. And so it was probably Mike Schmidt was the guy who I was, um, you know, he was kind of the first athlete who I thought uh, he, he really got me into sports and um, the the one who I really watched his every move. So I would say Mike Schmidt. Because I was an AL guy, I always, and this has nothing to do with anything. I, I, I was like George Brett more than Mike Schmidt. Uh, yeah. so like, I, and that was like, I couldn't, I couldn't have been less invested in that rivalry, so to speak, if that was a rivalry, but like, that was my back in the day. I got that. That was a, that was a fun one. Um, uh, what is a hall of fame that you would qualify for based on a hobby or a mm. habit? And I will throw this out there to the listeners. As you think about this, I have said that I would qualify for the seven 11 hall of fame because okay. uh, I've, I frequent enough just the other day, I got an email from Google maps telling me all the places I've been. And it shows you over the last, since it's been tracking me. So on this phone, it's like a year and a half, all the places I've been in the top 10 of my places, not one, two 7 showed up. So oh legitimately, I'm that guy. That That is very good. All right. <laughs> a, a hall of fame that I belong in. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think of what I am known for. I feel like I'm coming up really small uh, with this. What is a hall of fame? that I belong in. Hmm. What am I good at? My gosh, Ben, I'm giving you terrible podcasting here. 
This is ter- this is terrible. All right, I'll I'll, I'll let you pon- <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll let you ponder that. So we got two pins right, in here. About I'm Ooh. writing these down. Hall of Fame. Right, Hall of Fame. And what's the other one I'm looking for? Who, Twitter. Who on Twitter, Twitter needs to follow you that okay. doesn't? Uh, I'll yeah. give you one that's probably a bit simpler. What's your bet? We don't know what the Washington football team is going to do at quarterback, but you know we kind of know the likely options. I'm personally discounting the Deshaun Watsons and the Dak Prescotts. I'm just going with the tangible guys that either currently are free agents or are, are potential trade, you know, realistically trade options. There's, you know, we, there's also the draft, but that's, you're not the draft guy, but whatever. What of the guys who are currently available, the veterans, what would your plan be at quarterback? And if your answer is Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke, that's fine too. But what would be for you, the recommendation, the plan, who's the guy you would add if you're adding somebody to this group? I would go with the, the new England Patriots plan from last year, which is just sit tight. Uh, you know, you've got a floor there with Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke. If uh, July rolls around and there is a guy, maybe it's Mitchell Trubisky, maybe it's Tyrod Taylor, just kind of a guy you, you can add to the mix on a one year, uh, one, one and a half million dollar deal and see if they're better than the guys you have, uh, you know, then you can add them then. But I'm kind of with you. I mean, these other guys, they don't really excite me. And I think if you're Washington, the last thing you want to do is give up, uh, you know, draft capital or give up, um, you know, pay a lot of money, be tied into a long-term contract to a guy who's not the answer. I, I would kind of kick the can down the road and say, you know what, let's wait a year. If we don't, if Deshaun Watson or somebody becomes available, yeah, we'll absolutely be in on that. But if it's not that caliber player, let's wait because next off season, I mean, it's looking like Dak Prescott's going to be available, you know, and, and this offseason, you had Matthew Stafford, Carson. You had guys available who at this time last year, we did not think were going to be available. And so that would be my plan. Basically would be to maintain flexibility. If there's someone available late in the free agency cycle that you want to add, then you can go ahead and do that. But, uh, but I absolutely uh, would not force it. Yeah, I mean, I think we're on the same page. I hadn't really thought to myself the New England model per se. I keep thinking more like, well, who is the guy to target? I've been saying ask your coaching staff, which of these broken toys do they think they can fix? But right, their other way to look at it is, look, everything, it doesn't really even matter. Just wait, see what happens. Um, there's going to be tons of guys available, most likely. You know, there's just, just sort of the upside guys, the Mariotas, the Winstons, the the Trubisky's, and then there's the, yeah, we know what we're getting with Dalton or Tyrod Taylor. That's not that exciting, but it exists. And you can pick from those later if you want. You have a bit, ba- and I have been making the same point that they have a baseline with Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke, two guys who've shown they can play in the league. That's enough. And you can see what happens. And by the way, the draft will happen if you don't do anything now. May, who knows? Maybe at the 19th pick, one of these five guys is there. And then you can draft them if you want to do that without having now sort of committed yourself otherwise. Um, all right. I like that. Uh, all right. But I, I'll have another football question, but would you, do, would you like to circle back? Yeah. Here you go. I, I got two for you. And these are not going to be, these, these are going to be unconventional answers. So for the Twitter follow, and, and I looked here and I couldn't find it, but I'm pretty sure I follow them on Twitter. If you're ever driving through uh, suburban Philadelphia in Delaware County, in my hometown of media, there's a coffee place called Burlap and Bean, which is uh, when we were allowed to go places, this is where I would go and write my long pieces, my long <laughs> features. Uh, it's a nice kind of neighborhood spot. I think it used to be like a garage or something. And so uh, I believe I follow 
follow them on Twitter. I would like to be like the local ambassador for burlap and beans. So, you know, I don't know that they would listen to a, a Washington uh, football team podcast, but if this gets back to them, uh, I would like a follow on Twitter from them. And, you know, I'm here, you know, you, you can just pay me with free coffee or whatever it is, <laughs> and I can be your local ambassador. So that's that. Uh, the other one, and again, these are, this will show you what a weird guy I am, Ben. Uh, I think I can be in the, uh, nosebleed stopping hall of fame. And I'll give you the backstory is that we have, we have two little girls, uh, you know, and the younger one, you know, when she first got her first nosebleed, my wife starts flipping out, you know, what, oh my gosh, look at this. What do we do? And I said, relax, you know, this is very easy. You just tilt the head back, you get the tissue, you get the paper towel and you clog that bad boy up. And so now, you know, my daughter is only five, but when she gets a nosebleed, you should see her spring into action. She knows exactly what to do. So that has to be the weirdest answer you've ever gotten to that question, but uh, this is what I came up with on the spot. That is an amazing one. Yes, that is definitely <laughs> out there. I, I don't know if we've had anything at that level, but I like it. It's a parenting, a parenting yeah. thing. You have experience. I mean, if, if you're a parent, that becomes the thing you do the most. So <laughs> right. that would make absolute sense to be in that category. Uh, Sheila, I gotta, uh, I gotta let you go. The last question, Brandon Scherf. Uh, we're waiting to hear if Washington, what the, what's going to happen there. Long-term extension, franchise tag. I've been on the opinion, you make it, if you want to keep him, you make your best offer, forget the tag. The tag is just going to burn Washington in the long haul, I would imagine, or at least it's possible it does. Uh, what's your take? Do you pay, if it's 15 to 16 million for a guard, one of the better ones, but do you pay that? Or do you, or do you use the tag and see, or do you just say, hey, we can't, that's just not how we're going to build our team. We're moving on. Geez, I would be a little hesitant. I got to say, you know, given the injury history, missing what 16 games over the past three years, he's 29 years old. You know, someone had said to me that that's an older 29 than some other players because of the wear and tear on his body. And so to pay him at the absolute top of the guard market, and it's, you know, I don't view that as a premium position, not saying you shouldn't pay guards, but that's not tackle. That's not quarterback. That's not corner. Uh, I would be a little bit hesitant, but they're in a tough spot, you know, because like you said, if you tag him, you're paying what 18 million for one year. It, could there be a tag and trade possibility there, Ben? I mean, I, I don't know. You would know that better better than me. If they tag him a second time for $18 million and they say to his agent, you know what, you can go and you let us know, is there a team out there who wants to sign you to an extension that you want to sign? Could you get like a, a second round pick? For Brandon Scherf, I mean, that's sort of a wild card in this because I don't know that that's where I would want to spend my money. Again, not saying he's not a good player. I think he's a top five right guard when healthy, but given the age, given the injury, given the other needs on the roster, uh, I would be on the fence uh, about this. I, I don't think it's a no-brainer to just sign him to that deal. Yeah, I I, I agree, and I, I like the tag and trade scenario. If you're going to go down that route, I would not tag him to then try to keep him. I, I think that just uh, burn them, and it's not just because of the Kirk Cousins thing, but doesn't that doesn't that, yeah. that, that doesn't hurt <laughs> shield I, I know you got to go i really appreciate it everybody go follow shield on twitter at shield kapadia uh go read his stuff on the athletic he's the guy with all the free agent info lots of deep dives on that position and obviously this is all we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks thanks man appreciate it Th thanks for having me ben all right many thanks to shield kapadia for his thoughts on NFL free agency and the Washington football team. Um, I, I normally just sort of end the podcast there, but I did want to just sort of throw in a couple thoughts about the about Bradley Beal and the Washington Wizards before we get off. I'm recording this before the All-Star game, so well, hopefully the Brad uh, has a good game and, and, and puts on a good show, as, as do the other players in this all-too-bizarre scenario with, you know, uh, you know ha having an All-Star game 
amid, amid a pandemic and, and all that at this point, uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are out of the game because of contact tracing. So hope everything goes uh, smoothly there. But I wanted to get into not, not, not Bradley Beal, the all-star, but Bradley Beal, the Washington Wizard, in that, um, you know, there's still this the backdrop of what should the Wizards do? Should they trade him for the hypothetical, you know, picks and young players package that, you know, numerous fan bases around the league would love to see happen? Um, Bradley Beal, during his pregame uh, media session, was asked why does he think he's an all-star, and he said, modestly a little bit like well i think i can because i can score a little bit and uh obviously he's leading the league in scoring i think in part he kind of said this the other day that the reason why he in some level is received the all-star start not just make the team but the start is because there's been so much attention on him this year and there's so much attention on him because so many people around the league are paying attention to the wizards in ways they didn't last year when they were just irrelevant he has his backdrop has been very much front and center this year, and he's given everybody all kinds of reasons to pay attention. He's been incredibly dynamic. We have a story up on the Athletic, as I mentioned, about who are the best pure scorers in the league, and it came from the idea of where does Bradley Beal fit in. But I want to get to a different story that sort of sparked a, a different thought of mine, and that is one from uh, our Fred Katz and our Portland Trailblazers writer Jason Quick. Uh, they they both interviewed Bradley Beal and Damian Lillard because those two all-star players said that they have conversations with each other about the idea of staying with the teams that they have been with throughout their careers. They both entered the league in the 2012 draft, both top 10 picks, and both have stayed with their teams, even though it could have been easy for either one to sort of try to push their way out. Now, Lillard has had more success with Portland. Uh, they made a conference final. They've had some 50-win seasons. And Lillard is, you know, one of the five or six best players in the league, I would argue. I mean, the, the game time is real. I would, he may be the guy that I want the, the ball in his hands with 10 seconds left and I need a bucket to win or, or tie or something. Uh, Bradley Beal is continuing to improve. I wouldn't put him in the top five or six, but he's somewhere in the top 10, 15. I don't know. We can debate where it is, but he's really gotten a lot better. But what reminded me about this article about these two guys talking about the idea of staying is it with, with this with these teams that they've been with their whole careers is that it seems more reasonable in Portland because they've had some success but also because it isn't just about Dane Lillard it's a culture thing there we hear that word all the time we talk about this a lot with the Washington football team culture 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 and I don't think people understand it enough really kind of what that can mean at times Basically, what I would say is this. It's a, it's a proper alignment between the organization from the top down and probably your best couple players. There's an understanding of what it means to say, I play for this team. It's a mindset. It's a, we got to have talent, obviously, but it's a mindset. It's a willingness to do what is right for you, for the organization, for your teammates, that when you, if you're new and you show up here, this is what's expected of you when it comes to practice, to being a, to, when it comes to being uh, unselfish, when it comes to a sort of hierarchy, as it will. And I think these are things that the Wizards can emulate with Bradley Beal, because I think Bradley Beal and Damian Lillard, from a mentality standpoint, are very similar players. And I think that Bradley Beal can absolutely, you guys have heard me talk about this a lot, I think Bradley Beal can absolutely be not the best player on a title team. I don't think Damian Lillard can be that either. But I do think that they can be... Um, 
the, the front man for very successful teams. And look what we're talking about with the Wizards right now. The idea when people say they should trade Bradley Beal and therefore get other, because it's not, because what's happening now is not going to lead to a title. It's, I'm, I think to me, honestly, uh, it, it kind of insanely presumptuous. One, I, as you guys have heard me say, I don't think that's the real goal for Ted Leonsis. I think the real goal for the owner is to make the playoffs, generate that revenue, and then kind of hope for the best from there. Um, they don't make the moves to um, to do that. As one example, I saw a Twitter highlight of uh, their second-round pick, Cassius Winston, uh, in the G League, which is fine that he's in the G League, but he's playing for Erie. That's not the Wizards team. The Wizards don't have a team this year in the G League because they – and they weren't the only ones, but they passed on it during the pandemic. So they have their player playing for somebody else who's running possibly different systems, not caring as much about your guy. These are not the things you do if your goal is to really win a title. You push forward, right? So anyway, that, that, that's just one minor example. You guys have heard me talk about other ones over time. But my point is that the Wizards can make this sustainable with Bradley Beal uh, to be an interesting team. He just needs more help. And they have been, I, I don't know if these last 16 or 17 games are representative of what they will be over the rest of the year, but they have essentially been a 500 team. Now, 500 is not exciting, in the East this year, 500 is like the third or the, or is like the fourth or the fifth seed. So that's interesting. But point is, you have Bradley Beal. We're getting a healthier version of Russell Westbrook. Davis Bertans is, you know, still a little hit or miss. And I mean that in a sort of ironic way because he's a three-point threat. And, you know, we can debate whether he's, um, well, whatever. Uh, you know, he's starting to come around a little bit. And then you have Rui Hachimura is playing some better ball. Danny Avdia, we'll see, you know, kind of where his game goes. But we've seen some good things and so on. And, you know, I'm not saying they have enough there to be as good, have as much upside as that team in the mid part of last decade with Wall, Beal, Gortat, and others. But I'm saying it's it's quasi-interesting, and I think it's potentially more sustainable if you figure out what it means to be a wizard. And I mean that in a positive way. Fix the culture here, damn it. (laughs) You know? Now, you guys have heard me say, I think Scott Brooks probably needs to go. Uh, I'm not saying that about Tommy Shepard, but if they decide that if, if there's a real thought about how do we get this thing fixed, to me, that fix, again, to win a title, even if you really go for it, it's not easy. We, we, we all know every year it's more or less the same few teams who really have a chance, and those teams have the best handful of players. They, they, they either have the number one, number two guys, a, a LeBron or a KD or they have a, a collection of, of two or three of the top players. Obviously, the Nets kind of this year, one of those teams, the Lakers last year, and so on. Uh, you know, Golden State was the rare blend where you had an, a, a mix, forget the Kevin Durant part of it, but when you had Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, um, you just had this incredible mix of players that just their talents blended perfectly with a coach and Steve Kerr at a time when the league was evolving and they were kind of out in front of it. And that worked out. That, that, that Those are high marks. I'm just talking about being a good team, a 45-win team, a 50-win team. That's competitive. That's interesting. And maybe if the breaks go your way, you can go up to another step. If you become interesting over time, maybe other players will show up. I'm reminded that Paul Pierce, a legendary player, now granted he was at the end of his career more or less, but he still had gas in the tank, as we all remember, for that year. And ultimately, he chose to go to the Wizards. That was because they had shown some promise, and that's not something they have shown in recent years. They have been highly dysfunctional uh, pretty much ever since the Boston, that that, that infamous Boston, or not infamous, that that Boston series in 2017. So I guess my point is that all this talk about trading Bradley Beal because you need to start over to win a title, 
I just don't think that's the way I would look at it. And by the way, there is no starting over even if you trade Beal. What's the best package you could get for him this minute? I would probably say if Golden State were willing, um, you know, get you know J James Wiseman and that Minnesota uh, protected top three pick for next year. You know, some package of that, you know, the Golden State probably would have to send some money back or whatever, you know, in some in, in the form of a player. Let's just say that's the best deal. It's really interesting. Wiseman's a very, you know, uh, fun player. I don't want to keep saying interesting, but, you know, he's a fun player. And that pick, you know, everybody can sort of buy into a potential top, you know, top five pick and, and what that would come with. And then the Wizards would have their own pick. And if you're trading Beal, you're probably going to go down. So maybe your pick is now close to top five as well. And you go there. You still have Russell Westbrook. You're not getting rid of him. He's going to be here the next two years after this one. He's not going anywhere, and you're not attaching more picks to him after you attach one to Wall to get Westbrook. You just paid Bertans $80 million. Are you now trading him? No. So, like, the idea that you're just going to start over, that's not a real thing. But what is real is that Bradley Beal is a hell of a player who openly talks about wanting to stay here. And if you can figure out how to build the culture around him, I'm not saying that's the easiest thing, but it's not that complicated. We talk about this with the football team all the time. I can't ignore the Dan Snyder aspect. But Ron Rivera, on the surface, has done a pretty good job of, of after one year of turning that, that around. I wouldn't dismiss that. So the, all the talk, and I'm sure we'll continue as the trade deadline approaches, about dumping Bradley Beal. I would just say, look at the Portland situation and can that be emulated? Again, I don't think Portland has realistic championship aspirations with Damian Lillard as its best player and maybe to the point Lillard plus C.J. McCollum as their second best. Like, I think Lillard is great and could be the best player on a title team, but, like, there needs to be another thing with him. And I think he's hamstrung on some point because Portland is Portland. No disrespect to the people in the, in the upper uh, northwest of this country. <laughs> um, but it's a smaller market, and that's going to be hard to attract people. You know, what should, you know what city is should not be hard to attract people? The nation's capital. I really can't comprehend how this is a problem. I get it. Kevin Durant didn't want to come back home. You really are telling me that there are people, there are other players in this country who wouldn't want to play in the city. I don't believe that. I just think that you have to give them reason to think that. Now, again, I'm, it's not Miami where you have the, 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 the sunshine and, the, and no state taxes and Pat Riley. I understand that. It's not Los Angeles. Um, and, you know, there's some other places. It's not maybe even New York. But the Knicks have been dysfunctional, and that's why they have been terrible all this time as well. We'll see what happens if they ever get good, who they can attract. Bradley, Be or Bradley Beal's presence should be interesting to other players, as is the city, and so would be a functional team. So I guess my take is, and go read the, the story from Fred and Jason. I think it's really good. Um, and it's just a reminder, and I've, I've written about the Portland um, culture before. I interviewed Damian Lillard and Terry Stotts and others a couple of years ago about this. And yeah, it's about expectations. It's about understanding who does what, what are, what we, what we're about and, and having everybody from the top down buy in. I just don't think with the wizards, that's something that has happened in years, in, in, in recent years. And I think that's fixable and maybe it's even fixable with the people that are here, but it's got to have to be at the conscious decision on their end to do it. And I think if they really want their best path to contend, it isn't starting over because, again, you can't realistically start over with Westbrook and Bertans around. It is keeping Bradley Beal, fixing the other things. By the way, if you trade Bradley Beal for other stuff and then don't fix the culture aspect, why would we think anything is going to change? Keep Bradley Beal, 
figure out the best way to fix the culture moving forward. And then, hey, who knows? Maybe you can take your pieces, your Hachimoras, your Denny Avdias, your uh, you know future picks, whatever it may be, and maybe you turn that into the 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 Bradley Beal from another team. Uh, you can take you can use Bertan's salary to, to to match trades, whatever. I think there's something on that side. And if nothing else, Bradley Beal wants to play here until he proves otherwise. That's the risk. Does he one day say, I want out? Maybe, but at this point, he's not, he's shown no indication that that's happening. And based on that, I'm good with going with Bradley Beal. So that's it for this episode of the Standard Group Only Podcast. I really appreciate you guys checking out the podcast as always. Uh, thanks to Shil Kapadia for his time. That's it for now. Uh, until next time.